Susan Stroman sat down with moderator Charles Repoli for a one-on-one interview in June of 2001. I'm Hal Prince, a member of the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, and this is Masters of the Stage, produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Just a little brief So here, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, we would talk, we, as Joe just mentioned, everything you're doing. This is, uh, here's the question. You've got three Broadway shows now running. In the fall, Thou Shalt Not, right? Uh, at Christmas time, A Christmas Carol. And then in, the, in, in March, or sometime in the spring, Oklahoma. Yeah. So SDC Foundation wants me to ask, when do you breathe? Actually, I brought that up while I was coming down here. Uh, <laughs> Actually, said, good. Yeah, and you, it's, it's, I haven't for a while. I haven't for about a year and a half. It's just been nonstop and, and uh, probably don't intend to until after Oklahoma opens. It's, it's a lot, as you know, to mount a musical, so it does take every inch of your breath. But, um, and, but how do you, do, is there, an, uh, uh, is there a, a, a vitamin? I mean, I'm not even being facetious. The, the sense of, you're doing, con, con, you're just sending out contact right now, right? And it's now in proscenium? Yes. Which so you're changing to, that around? Yes. And, and let alone the party going. But seriously, <laughs> how, how, how do you juggle it all? Or do you just, does it just happen? Seriously. Uh, you know what it is that you, that. uh, when I go into a project, I just immerse myself into it, and um, for that project at that moment, and and uh, only deal with those actors and that creative team and and that design team, and and it's but it's what I thrive on. It's creating uh, theater is what I thrive on. I have a great passion for music too, so it's it's something that uh, feeds me. I would rather do that than anything. So. And you can compartmentalize. Yes. At that. And sometimes it must be daily. Yes. At this, in the morning, I am doing contact, and in the afternoon, I'm... Yeah. Somehow my brain is able to go into each uh, show, and only that show, for that moment. And what about the pre-production? I'm jumping ahead. Sorry, Joe. (laughs) I'm not supposed to jump out of the water, but in terms of the same question... Well, for example, yesterday, uh, after the Tony Awards, on uh, uh, Tuesday from 10 to 6 I did Oklahoma auditions and then on Wednesday from 10 to 6 I worked with Harry Connick on Thou Shalt Not and then today I worked with William Ivy Long on Thou Shalt Not so it's um, it's it's being in that moment with that person whoever's in front of me and dealing with it that and dealing way. with that, that thing yeah sure and and the pre-production so sometimes I would imagine your pre-production is done at the moment you're talking to that I don't mean the real pre-production but sometimes it must be 
you have to be doing it at the immediate moment it's happening, or, oh, or not. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, no, uh, well, you know, when I go to bed at night, I do pre-production and <laughs> sleep. But uh, it's when I'm in front of that person, I, I prepare for that person. Like, for example, William I. Belong came over today to talk about costumes for Thou Shalt Not. And I uh, have prepared a spreadsheet for him and, and how many um, uh, characters when it were in each scene. So now William can take that and make a budget for Lincoln Center. Before he can make a budget, he has to know what I'm thinking about how many characters are in each scene for Thou Shalt Not, because it's a new show. Right, and then so you have... So I have to prepare for that, but, um, but then once I'm there, it's, it's all about talking to William about each scene and how I see each scene. And, and are, is, is Thou Shalt... I'm jumping way ahead. Oh, he's going to kill me. <laughs> but Thou Shalt Not, because I think we might be interested... Are, are, this is a question I was going to ask later, but we're yeah. here now. That's a new project. It's a creation... Yes. I read, I read a book called Therese Racan. It's a, a novel by Zola and takes place at the turn of the century in Paris. And when I, I read the book... I just thought it, it um, could be th- turned into a theater piece or a dance piece. And um, I decided to turn it into a dance piece that happened in New Orleans in, uh, at the end of the war. And the more I explored it, the more exciting it became to me to make it more accessible to Americans to put it in New Orleans. And then I had to find a composer. And um, I, I knew that uh, I had Harry Connick's CDs but I, I only knew him really as a cover singer, but I loved his um, music so much. And I, he had a particular CD that came out at the same time I was thinking about this. And he had written some songs, and the songs were very poetic and very sensual. And I want the show to be that, because it's about passion, uh, uncontrollable passion. So I went out to get Harry Connick, which was not easy. <laughs> and uh, he, you know, I would call his manager and say, uh, I'm from the theater, I'm Susan Stroman. Oh, he's busy, you know. <laughs> you know and wow. I'd call again, so the theater people, you know, oh, so. Uh, so I found out where I could send him the novel and send him the treatment, and um, still I heard nothing, and I kept sending faxes to his manager and heard some, nothing. Then he was on a talk show. And uh, I turned on the TV, and I heard him speaking. And they were asking him silly questions like, what's your favorite color and what's your favorite song? And then they said, what's the last book you read? And he said, Therese Racan. And I said, whoa, I'm in. <laughs> we got that book. You know, so I tightened back another fax. You know? <laughs> and, um, really? Yeah, and I said, wow. I, I have a show called Contact. If you and your wife would like to come, I could get you tickets, and I could meet you in the lobby. So uh, he responded, and he came, and, and uh, his body language in the lobby was, after the show, he was pressed up against the wall, like, what does she want? What could she possibly want? And I just said, I know you could do this. I know you could write a musical. I know you have it in you. And, uh, and, and he also had passion for the, for the he book, He loved obviously. the book. He really yeah. loved the book. And uh, then I went down to New Orleans at the Jazz Fest to see a play, and I think because I did that, he thought I was serious. And uh, then in the, the next week... He showed up at my apartment with like 12 songs. So he was hooked. You know, I just had to hook him. I had okay. to get and to him. Get, get the theater yeah. and the, the music. And it's been wonderful. Uh, it's really been wonderful. Because uh, the show is about jazz musicians and about about a girl who loves to dance. And, uh, it's, and Harry is from New Orleans. So he was... And I actually didn't know that when I went after him. And he said to me, well, you know I'm from New Orleans. I said, I know. I know you <laughs> And then I thought, this was really meant to be. I just went after him because of the poetry of his lyrics. Right. And then it all, it all worked out that it happened to be in New Orleans, and he happened to be 
his father's like the district attorney of New Orleans. It got, it got to, you know, oh, this was meant to be. So, <laughs> so now he, Harry kind of came to your, your, uh, your hotel. No. Apartment. No. Yep. Apartment. Uh, see, I'm listening. Yeah, this yeah. is a good interview. We'll listen. Yeah. But now, that's the segue I was looking for. So Mel Brooks walked into your apartment, <laughs> down the long hallway, jumped on the couch, and sang. And sang. Do you all know this story? Oh, yeah. please, Susan. I, I'm sorry. I, you know. No, I was doing, uh, I was rehearsing at Christmas Carol uh, with my husband and, and Mike Operant, and we got a call saying, Mel Brooks, want, Mel Brooks wants to meet you. And we said, well, yes, well, maybe next Thursday we could meet him. He said, no, he wants to meet you now, this minute. You have to meet him now. So, okay, you know, so we had this legend wanting to meet us. So we ran home, and he was there about a half an hour later, and I opened the front door, and he didn't say hello. He just launched full voice into song, a, a song called That Face, which opens Act Two and the producers. And he started to sing, and then he walked past me and went down my long New York hallway. And uh, jumped up on top of the sofa and finished the song, and then he said, Hello, I'm Mel Brooks. <laughs> and, uh, I know, and he said, I want to make a musical out of the producers, and I want you to be the one to help me. So, so my, this question that I had here, when did you start working on the producers? Was it when he jumped up on your couch? <laughs> yes, immediately. That's... Absolutely. Well, I mean, you, uh, he's an extraordinary creature, really. He's... Uh, <laughs> No one could have gotten away with what he got away with on a Sunday night, you know. So, I mean, outrageous. No, he's, but it's amazing. Uh, he's amazing. He has, he's a genius. His mind is so funny, and he's funny when you eat with him. He's funny when you walk down the street with him. He's just nonstop. He's good, though, too. Yeah. He's got a good heart. He's a good person. And he, I would imagine that just that infection of, of just doing that, of course, that was second nature to him, to run in and do that and, yeah. and catching you up. Yeah. And did you... So that was like three years ago, did you Yeah, say? that was, uh, yes, almost three years ago, about two and a half years ago, yeah. And then when did you, did you start then? Is that when you started yes, working? Yes, because I mean, literally he brought a script that was a screenplay, so the whole thing had to be changed into a musical, which meant major uh, restructuring to make it into a musical. Right. And, and, uh, and, and just, you know, that was, moments of that for Mel were difficult to say, you know, um, LSD is not going to work in this musical. We have to find some other way to make uh, Hitler right. funny. Right. What, what? <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah. But as you said, uh, and I did hear this too, and, and maybe if you don't mind repeating some of this, but you talked about um, making Hitler funny, and you all responded to that. <laughs> and yet, there, I, you said, I think there was an incident where somebody came down the aisle angry about. It. That, that you said something so wonderful about that, about following the story. Well, yes, he, uh, there was. We had one incident, only one incident, and it was a fellow that um, was. Uh, he was older, older man, I think, and his looked like late eighties, and clearly he was sitting in the front row, and he was just loving the chorus girls and the sparkle and the sequence, and the, and all of a sudden Hitler sat down in front of him, and it did upset him. He. He got very, very upset, and he went marching up the aisle screaming about it. But he wasn't following the plot. That's, That's why. Nice. But what's very important in the structure to keep telling Mel, we have to keep reiterating the plot and saying, we're looking for the worst show ever written. We're looking for a show that's going to offend everybody. We want to make a flop. We want to get the money from the old lady. So that, that plot is constantly punched in there so no one will be offended. But this fellow wasn't following 
he went up the aisle and he saw Mel. Oh. And uh, he went after Mel, and, uh, and, and instead of Mel being gracious and saying, let's go outside, he went after him. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so there were two of the pockets in the back. <laughs> so, you know, and having to, again, we had to get them both out to the lobby, you know. But that is what you did. But you said, you know, follow, yeah. keep that plot going, and, and yeah. that is your... It's about, yeah, the structure is everything, I think, in the success of a musical, and, and it had to be so in the producers. There's no way we could have put that screenplay up. It would have never worked, you know. And Although that screenplay is wonderful. Uh, with a film, for film, but, but it had to be uh, really laid out structurally. Plus, now we were, were making these characters sing and dance about their wants and needs. What was great, though, is that the man who created these characters was now going to make them sing, so the, the adaptation was a good one. It was easy easier than one might think because of that. It's, it's interesting. Uh, easy in the, in the sense of turning it into a musical. A, a musical. What about the, the nuts and bolts of, of, of working on the script before you got into the rehearsal room, before you got anywhere and you were, you're sitting there with Mel and you're talking about this script and he's, you know, he said, I think originally he thought of it as a play with music and really it became music with a play. Right. It, it really flipped itself around. Yeah. What about that? Did... Well, it Did he ever just say no? Did oh, you yeah. ever just? And what happens when? But he's called him a legend, you know. What's yeah, but but the thing is, Mel uh, is a wonderful writer, but he's a writer that feeds off of uh, other writers, other actors. He's not a writer that sits in Cape Cod in a hole in the wall and by himself. Everything he does, he's, he's like a life force, and he feeds off of what's around him. So even you would you would feed him a straight line, and you just wait for one second, and then brilliance would come out, you know. So half of the show was me feeding him the line for it to for him to then come up with the joke. And then, you know. and then, and then yeah, but that's the way he works. I mean, it's wonderful. You know, that's the way the show of shows is written, tossing back and forth ideas. Yeah. What would you say? Uh, again, there's nowhere on my paper, but uh, I, I can see that kind of interplay. What about when? No, that, I'm going to go later. Okay. It's about choreography and about tossing. Them. But of course, comics, great comics, are of the moment. Yes. And really must be of the moment. Yes. They need to be. That yeah. must have been close. What about that? Uh, speaking of that, what about all that? You have these enormously, extraordinarily funny men. Yes. And a lot of testosterone in that <laughs> rehearsal room, right? Yes. I mean, on every level, great talent, great egos, great forces, great comments. How do you rein all that in and say, oh, let's get to work? Or is, is that the work? Well, I, you know, I had to go in very organized and very um, on top of the scheduling to make sure no comic was sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> ah, so that's when, a good one, right? Because comics with nothing to do. So <laughs> when they came in the room, they were scheduled to work when they came in the room. So that part of scheduling was the big, <laughs> the wow. big factor. But um, yes, everybody, even the ensemble, when they auditioned for me, they had to sing a song dance and they also had to tell a joke and uh, uh, those who made us laugh I guess got into the show you know but but everybody in the show is, is very funny everybody has comic instincts so there's a lot of electricity in the air so even on the breaks or the uh, lunch breaks it was always you could cut it with a knife the comedy and, and yet, I think that's, that's interesting you don't think you don't think Mel planned that do you <laughs> He needs a little more attention. Uh, that was good timing. Good timing. 
Uh, what do I have here? Uh, a continuation of that with, you know, the performances are enormous, sometimes outrageous, always grounded in a truth and a reality. How do you do that? How do you do that as a director? Well, the thing is, I have to say, they're so well behaved, too, because so when I go back, they are doing that show. They're not strengthening the show. They are, and, but I think it's, it's a, a testament to the writing of the show because uh, there's, it's like being on a train that just goes and they don't have a chance to get off and be bad. You know, They have to do the story. And, and because there's so much music, it propels them forward, and the music propels the plot forward. But um, I think that... Just for them, um, the characters are are for a lot of musicals. Some problems are you don't just don't believe that those characters would be singing and dancing. But in fact, in the producers, it's a real love letter to the theater. So those people who are up there are actually theater people. So they're eccentric theater people. So it's more believable when they sing and dance rather than in another musical. You know, so. It seems quite natural, so you're not you're not uh, judging that or testing that. It just seems completely natural that Roger Debris would launch into a song. Right, right. And do you, you sort of alluded to, but is it? Do you think it's the momentum of uh, not only the music but of the choreography? The show is really dances from beginning to end in, in many ways. Even in the scenes, those characters are dancing in, the, in those, those scenes. Do you think that's that keeps them? Doing the same show because that's a yeah. main, that is that is the direct. I mean, that's really the only person that can keep everybody doing the same show is the yeah. director slash choreography. <coughs> sure, and especially in the show, the thing is, it's it has all the elements of a traditional old musical comedy, but it is directed and choreographed in a very contemporary way, almost cinematically. So even the set changes propel the plot forward, and the the. Um, it's, it's more cinematic forward motion in, in the changes, in, in the locations. And that, that just, the actors have to do it because the baton goes down and they have to do what they're supposed Ooh. to do. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's wonderful. You said, one of my questions is, is the show frozen? And what I, of course, meant by that was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a long show. I guess you have some rules about yes. orchestras and monies and overtime. So what about when... when they decide that this is really funny and I think I'm going to go here. It's, well, we were too long in Chicago. That's what was great about playing out of town. We were too long and we had to cut. We were cutting actually good jokes. It was hard to find what to cut. And I love having this problem, but I would cut some jokes and then the, thing next, the next joke would land even bigger. So it put more time on the show. Did you choose the lesser joke? No, I know. No, but the more things I would cut... The, the more laughter we would get, and, and uh, I was in the same amount of time with the show. So, I mean, it was wild to have that problem. But, I, you know, sitting in the audience is like sitting in a wildfire of laughter. It's like an a, a infectious fire that you can't put out. And, and um, literally, I saw a man. I know this sounds wild, but I saw a man. There's a, a thing in the second act. It, it's not even, it's just a small joke, but, but um, Nathan is in jail, and he's singing about... Leo Bloom changing his life and he has to stroll out to try to escape and he comes back in with a cop with a gun in his back 
some man thought that was so funny, he like fell out of his seat to the aisle, like laughing on the floor of the aisle. And because he did that, the rest of the audience could not get a grip on themselves. And then the, the actors just had to wait. They just had to wait. You know? And you're going, no, no, man, no, no, no. Over time. Those are the jokes. <laughs> you got to finish. Well, I get, you know, you get pressured from the producers of the producers about time and money and, you know, overtime and orchestras and that kind of stuff. So. But I, I suppose that, that infectious laughter, too, is a... It, maybe that's more of a, a help in keeping the show frozen than a deterrent because no, it is. They, know there's, they know there's 20 more jokes coming up so we can just keep going for yeah. it. Fascinating. No, I think, I think this show will stay more frozen than most. You know, right. there's, there's little time to... Unless something goes wrong in the audience, uh, I don't think Nathan would stray. You, you, that, that's great. That's yeah. a, that's a, cause, I mean, you have so many people up there that are ready to, and I don't mean that in a bad way because of where it goes. And, yeah. and they're, but they were, it was amazing to see them all doing the same show at the same time. It's a really wonderful. <laughs> no, it's a wonderful credit to you, I think. You know, that's, that's the hardest thing to do, particularly with comedy. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, the doing the same show at the same time, but it's more important what you said. <laughs> so we want, what about a couple of, uh, and then we'll get, eventually we get off the producer, but we have to ask okay. some of these questions. Or should we get off now? No, whatever you want. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, a couple of moments, the genesis, and you, you talk so much about collaboration. I know how much you believe in collaboration with theater. And we, we talk, but you see some of these things about the, that white room. <laughs> uh, to me, I don't know if any of you, how many of you have seen the, the show at this point, but in the second act, the room that was his office becomes totally white. The, the, the brown leather couch is white. There's nothing in the room that isn't, I think, no. white. And there's this beautiful woman sitting on top of a ladder with a paintbrush. And there's actual paint, or, or something, liquid, in this paintbrush, and she's finishing it. Where does something like that come from? What, how does that evolve? Why? I mean, it's so layered with so many comic elements. But that, that was Mel. You know, he's uh, Ula to for when they say tight. But it's like he says, he'll come up with a joke saying Ula's going to tidy up. What means tidy up? Well, clean, clean, make it look nice. So then when we go to the second act, then Mel thought, what if it was more than just clean? What if she painted it like Swedish white? <laughs> and, um, and he's sitting there with the paint. I know, so Robin Wagner has to make a little thing on the set that we paint every night with real paint, and we peel it off, and then we paint it every night. And also, of course, isn't that a... I mean, did that... Did you think... Did, did it have the response that the, that you all wanted it to have with the audience? Yeah, did yeah they all... it's a little... It's a new location you haven't seen, so it's magical. And it's a pain in the ass, so it flies way up in the... And you know, we have to bring it down and, and then fly the brown set up. So intermission was an hour ten when we came into town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was hard to get it down to 20 minutes. And what if... Uh, it's great, but also, did did you think of that in terms of the, the dance number? To have, did it matter that it was in front of white? Did it? What did that do to you at that, that point? Well, it, it makes it more away? romantic. It make, makes you think, what could, uh, what kind of dress could we have here? Could we turn this into a Fred and Ginger number with with Leo Bloom? But Leo Bloom dancing like Leo Bloom, you know, and uh, and then um, and still, but but everything I did. I had to always, all the whole design team and the creative team had to still immerse themselves in the world of Mel Brooks. So 
even though I was about to do what would be thought of as a Fred and Ginger number, right. there had to be something else about it that would ground it in the world of Mel. So I thought to make them flip behind the sofa, not dance, and all of a sudden do funny things behind the sofa. And then there's a uh, one of the big laughs in the show is when an old one of the little old ladies pops up from behind the sofa for no reason. <laughs> she was waiting. She was waiting, waiting. like hidden. They, Max Bialystok stuffed her under there. <laughs> And uh, it gets a huge laugh in the show, and uh, but it's it's but that grounds that dance number then in the world of Mel that you could do something outrageous that way. But that's the way one had to think of the show, so it was seamless all the way through. And of course, why wouldn't she paint this entire room, including yeah. the couch, yeah. white? And it and then it works for that number too because it makes it more romantic, and you can turn when they start to dance, you can turn this the set pink and blue and. Peter Kazarowski can do some beautiful lighting on it because now he has the palette to do it. He has and, the, and the projection. Yeah. And did that all come, is that the chicken before the egg? Did, did the white set uh, start those creative things sure. moving? Or it was that, it was that Yeah, that all order. Mel had to say was, what if, what if we went up on Act 2 and she painted the set white? And that was... And everybody, everybody went, went, yo! You know, lighting designer loved it. Robin loved it. I loved it. You know, it just opened everything up. The birds. <laughs> I, or do you, are you retired? Yeah, no, the birds. The pigeons. Uh, again, if you haven't seen the show, but on many levels. Now, now where did that come from? And it, obviously, the, they were pigeons in the movie, but they sort of were pigeons. Right. Well, um, the, the Mel wrote a song for the Nazi, and he was going to be up on his rooftop with pigeons. And I thought, well, what if the pigeons had a backup chorus to the Nazi? Because they're homing pigeons. They're carrying them. They carry messages to, to uh, Argentina. So, um, so then I thought also, people seem to love puppets now. It seems to be a, a thing to have a puppet in your show. I thought, well, what if the puppets were funny? What if it was almost a comment on, for some reason, people love puppets. And I thought, what if we did have puppets and they were funny puppets? And... Um, so we, Robin Wagner, I talked to Robin about it. He said he could build a, the designer of Birdcage. But then he knew somebody in Brooklyn that built puppets. And uh, we went out there to speak to them. And, and so now behind the, the pigeons, I have showgirls that work the puppets. And uh, so I got my own birds behind them. <laughs> a bird within a bird. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, um, but when I, it's a, when I went out to see them for the first time, uh, they were all excited about me seeing these pigeons. And when I looked at them, they were as big as turkeys. They were huge, huge. After they built them, you mean? The, yeah. The original? And there was a silence, and I thought, I thought, this is the time where everybody's waiting for me to say they're a little big. <laughs> but... Um, but they weren't too big. I think they thought... But I still wanted them to be believable-sized pigeons, but just pigeons that could swing and sway and lift one arm up and that kind of stuff. So. And they did that. <laughs> now what, but, but again, now here's one of leading to a, a broader question about the theater and about choreographing and, and directing. The element of surprise. Yes. The element of building to a surprise and then continuing to build to the next surprise based on the last surprise. I mean... Granted, in, in the Mel Brooks situation, you, you're allowed to have more abstract surprises, but you still have to ground them. I mean, what about that build to a surprise, to build to a, the next surprise? I think it's every, you know, every number that I do has sort of almost a beginning and middle and an end, so it's structured almost like a short story, every single number. So it has to have a build. And, and also, 
part of building a number for me or scene is, is being able to arrange the music. So it's, it's, it's being able to arrange or almost manipulate, if you will, the music to evoke the correct emotion that I need the audience to feel, whether they know it or not. So then, then it is whatever staging or choreography is on stage, it is supported by the music and the arrangement. Does that make sense? It makes so, sense to me. So if I take a melody, if I want somebody to, to chase each other across the stage, I'll play it in a fast two. If I want them to fall in love, I'll play it in three-quarter time. You know, if it, it has to do with uh, almost manipulating the rhythm of the arrangement to evoke the emotion for the audience. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and then that, that gets, gives you the build. That gives you the build for the number, the build for the structure. And, and do you, when you're working on a number or working on a scene, or in, in, whether it be this or not, and, you know, that, that moment of when they lift their arms, pigeons, or, which seems so totally appropriate. I mean, you, you go, oh, well, of course, and you laugh, and that's right. And yes. We don't know how they got those SWAT stickers there, but they did. <laughs> you know, but we're, when you've done one, when is enough enough? Or is enough enough when it's enough? When, how do you gauge where you're going to go for it? Where does that come from about gauging? Well, when I think the, the final uh, process is the audience. The audience will let me know if it's right or not. I'll know immediately if it's right. The audience tells me. So I can think of what I think is right or get close to it, but then an audience is what lets you know. And, and do you... It leads me to a question about instinct. Do you... A friend talked to me about this the other night at dinner and said, well, do you trust your instinct? Do you trust that your instincts are what you want to see? Do you trust that your instincts are what you, you think the audience wants to see? Where do you go with that? Do you say, I want this, so I hope the audience wants it? Or do you hedge early on and say, I think an audience would want this, even though I might want this? What is that about? It's more about understanding, wanting the audience to understand, I think, making sure the story is always told. So it's more about making sure the audience is always following the story at every moment. You know, that's the thing. It's not so much, it's making sure that no one's ever going to turn and say, what just happened? You know, or, right. or I'm not quite sure what that meant. It just, it's to almost just making the story clear at all times. Comedy. We've been talking about comedy, but specifically with you, uh, comic influences? Comic, what, what, what are your influences in the world of comedy, do you, do you have role models? Do you have uh... <laughs> well, I, mean, I knew Mel. You know, I mean, it's I knew every movie he's ever made, and I knew those famous really, lines. Really, so I'm not drinking. The fact that he's come into my life is, you know, so interesting. So that, that would be a real influence, and that kind of, of that kind of wild comedy, wild so. comedy, which is really kind of old, old fashioned and yet yeah. absurd, absurd, but old fashioned. Do you think you're a a woman grounded in the? I mean. You've done it. If I might, you're creating work. You've done ballets. You've been uh, on the ground floor of a new kind of theater with with contact. Uh, you've done the old musicals. You've done old musicals that have uh, enormous uh, social values in them. Old musicals that have no redeeming graces except to have a, a spectacular time. Uh, are you? Are you? Steeped anywhere particularly? If you if you could only do one more thing in, in the musical world, not the new stuff, would you be, are you would you call yourself steeped in that old musical comedy, or is that not? I don't mean your work. I mean 
Yeah, no, I, I um, you know, just love the musical theater. I love the theater. Uh, but I think uh, creating new, something new is, is more important to me, you know. Uh, something like The Music Man was important for me to do because I think The Music Man touches a nerve in our hearts of people who are in the musical theater. Um, just we all grew up with that show. That show was important to us. There's a, a wonderful line in the second act where the little boy says, where's the band? And Harold Hill says, I always think there's a band kid. And in fact, if you're in the musical theater, that's what you believe. You always hear a band. You always believe it. And so all, all of us who are here in the theater and love the theater have little Harold Hill in us. So when I was approached about doing The Music Man, it was one of those revivals I did indeed want to do because I, I feel it, it um, is accessible to all of us in the theater. Choreographing a comic number as opposed to, this is choreographing seriously, the approach. Is there a while? Obviously, there's a difference in the, in the final outcome. But when you're working on it, on, on doing a, a number that's serious, and you're working on doing a number that's comic in, in its thrust, is the approach wildly different when you're in the rehearsal room, when you're in the process? When do you approach it differently? You know, uh, no, it's the same. Uh, and what it is, it's making sure that that person is dancing in that character. And that when they're in front of me, they're in that character and they're not doing steps. They have to be dancing as Michael Wiley. You know, uh, Boyd Gaines, when he dances at the end with the girl in the yellow dress, it's very uh, dramatic, very passionate, and makes him cry. At the beginning of, of that particular short story, though, he is the brunt of a lot of jokes where he gets pushed away by uh, some of the beefcakes in the, in the club. And, and it's funny when he gets pushed. So right, it's, right, it's making right. it funny and making him the brunt of uh, some slapstick. But then at the end, when he finally dances, it's with full emotion. So it's, it's creating the dance for that particular character rather than dance itself, which is different in the theater than when you, dance, when you choreograph for a ballet or a modern piece, because in the ballet world, in the modern world, when you're dancing, you are dancing the role of every man. And in the theater, you are dancing the role of a specific man. So it's very different in, in uh, the way you approach choreography. I, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to be, <laughs> be taken by that. I'm supposed to be, uh, I'm listening so hard, I was just really taken by that, that thought. Uh, and, I, and it's interesting to hear you say that it, whether it's comic or it's tragic or it's serious or it's just some, something silly as we go cast a cape or something, or it's about character view, always. Um, what about when you're not directing and you're the choreographer? What about the director's sense of comedy, sense of humor? Does it have to be the same? Does it, what does it, or, and the writer, and I don't necessarily mean just Mel, but you know, when you are working as a choreographer and you're working with a director and there's a comic and a, and a writer, there's a comic moment that must happen. Do you all have to have the same sense of humor? Uh, Yes, well, you have to be on the same page as the director. That's what you have to be, on the same. So, um, clearly, Trevor Nunn and I do not have the same sense of humor. <laughs> but I have to be on the page of Trevor Nunn. Whatever Trevor wants Oklahoma to look like, that's what I have to do. And so, Trevor wanted a grittier Oklahoma. So, I, I follow that lead when he tells me he doesn't want geraniums in the, in the 
West, and we Americans would put geraniums all over the house. <laughs> That's our version of the West, the Wild West. And, uh, <laughs> but Trevor wants to pioneer women, and he wants, you know, everybody uh, fighting for their territory. So that gives me my lead. Well, then, choreographically, I should take that lead and now make all the choreography about fighting and about playing Can You Top This and about the competition between the farm and the cowman. So there's a theme uh, through all the choreography. There's much more. It's, it's very masculine. It's very uh, primitive. It's, it's filled with fights. It's filled with playing Can You Top This? Who's better than who? So I take that lead, but that's from the director, so you have to follow that lead. That's, again, I'm, I'm enjoying this immensely. <laughs> uh, what about creating a comic... Uh, let me read this because I, I think this, I don't want to paraphrase this question. Dance is such an abstract thing. How do you create a physical vocabulary, especially a comic one, a ca- for for a character through dance? I mean, for example, you have the producers that are in a show recently that are funny. You have a housewife, and I, I believe Karen is a, a housewife in contact that is funny. You have uh, in Showboat the, the owner of a a showboat. He was funny, and they all had to dance, and they all had to. What about that vocabulary, Bobby Morse or Robert Morrison in Showboat? What about is there a vocabulary, a comic vocabulary, or do you go back again to? Um, there are. It's it's again about the character. I have to say, you know, it, it is the way um, Captain Andy would do something funny would be very different from the way Karen Ziemba would do something funny. You know, so it's. It's um, <clears throat> just immersing. It's funny. If you immerse yourself in that character and you uh, give as much help to that actor as you can possibly give, it will just happen. I know that sounds funny, but it will just they will just be in that way. They'll dance that way and they'll dance in that character. If you've been there to, to um, almost... You want to go in there and you want the actors to feel like you could stand in the middle of the room and they could run up to you and you could catch them. And if you can make them feel that way, then then they will dance the way you want them to dance. And 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 it, is there specific? And I'm, I'm I'm going one time too long with this question. However, is there a movement that you think is a housewife movement? I'm being, you know, very simplistic. Is there a movement that's uh, a producer in the... Sure. There's a a particular carriage or a particular uh, way they carry themselves to make that character. Even when Karen Zemba does uh, classical ballet, she never leaves that character of being the wife doing classical ballet. And that idea came uh, out of if someone said to you, don't drink your water, don't read the note, and don't fucking move. And then I left. The way to really rebel against me would be to do classical ballet. It wouldn't be just—it wouldn't be just to move. It would be take it to the screen, the extreme to really say, "Fuck you! I'm not only going to move, I'm going to do classical ballet." So, so that's how that idea came. But even when she does those really traditional balletic steps, she's still the housewife and and loving. In that particular short story, it's where it's dance equaling uh, liberation or freedom. I had a, a wonderful thing happen to me. Uh, I was giving a lecture at the Y, and some woman came up to me and uh, 
fell into my arms crying, saying that she left her abusive husband of 14 years because she watched Karen Ziemba dance in contact. And she said that she never had the strength or the bravery or the courage to do so. But she watched that short story, and she watched that particular character daydream their life away and then be trapped at the end. And she went home and packed her bags, and she's never been happy. <laughs> and, you know, we all know that um, uh, uh, theater can make you smile and laugh, and theater can make you cry, but to think that it could really transform someone's life is really special. I'll never forget that woman, ever. And, and to think that was because of that dance, you know, it was very special. And, and a dance done by uh, a real talent. Yes. As brilliant as Karen is as, a, as an executor, for lack of better, mm-hmm. um, this woman didn't see this woman didn't see the height of the leg and the extension of the foot. She saw a character bursting. Fascinating. Great. I don't. Why am I paraphrasing what you said? I'm, I'm like I'm like I'm sitting in a living room with you, just having a great old talk. Um, sorry. Um, what about in the rehearsal? I had, I think you've covered this joke line of thing here, but in rehearsal, you know, process, we're talking, we're still on that, this humor thing. Um, this process of what about accident? Meaning, when something happens that wasn't out of the rehearsal, in the rehearsal process, and this is developed from this, but all of a sudden, something accidentally happens. So someone does a, a one-liner, or somebody comes in with a, a bag of food in the middle of the... Is that, do you ever, does that happen in, in, sure. in your world? And does that? Yeah. Yeah, it all, it all, it absolutely does. I mean, uh, as you rehearse, things happen. And, and that's the other thing. Uh, somebody like Nathan Lane rehearses full out. He sings full out. He dances full out from 10 to 6 in the rehearsal room. So because he does, everybody else does around him. So the rehearsal is really heightened. But that way, I actually know if it's going to work or not immediately. I don't have to wait till they sing it full out. Or, you know? In front of an audience. Um, yeah. Right. I know immediately. So that those kind of people who um, really go for it, it's, it's, it's having uh, also people around you who are fearless and not afraid to try, try and, and not afraid to fail. And uh, it, that's, that process is wonderful to have that, those kind of folks around you. Uh, what about the dance? And I, you answered this once before, but maybe everybody hasn't heard this I love it what about the person that uh, has no dance ability (laughs) and they now have a major number in the middle of your show to do (laughs) and you have to and they're what about that what about creating a number for what is in essence a non-dancer well uh, for example Matthew is a non-dancer Matthew Broderick but he's a wonderful mover and Matthew has great rhythm he's a wonderful musician so if I can get a hold of somebody who has good rhythm, then I can do anything with them. They just have to have rhythm. And, um, so you know what my next question is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but yet the thing is, if the actor is, for example, creating that number, uh, he was always going to dance it like Leo Bloom, so he never had to dance it like Fred Astaire. So I, was all, I always uh, had that as long as he danced it in that character as long as I always think of it in that character too as long as I never expect anybody to dance like Fred Astaire whereas somebody like uh, who plays Bobby Child in Crazy View has to dance like Fred Astaire because that's his character his character doesn't want to be a banker he wants to be a dancer 
he wants to, to have his own theater and be a dancer. So now he has to be a dancer. And he has to dance better than anybody in the show. So I have to make him look like he dances better than anyone in the show. Do you do? He's enormously charming. It, 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 it's amazing when, that, when the stage, when the, the, everything breaks away and there's just this man having a, a great time in the middle of a, a Broadway stage. It, it, <laughs> what about... Uh, can you make someone... Physically funny if they are not comic? Um, Do you know what? Can you choreograph a comic number or, or direct a scene, but even can you impose that? Let's say choreography first. Can you impose that uh, funny steps and make them look funny? Sure. I did a. Um a ballet for the New York City Ballet called Blossom Got Kissed and it was with Wynton Marsalis and uh, I, I, I was doing a piece and um, uh, two other choreographers were doing a piece and their pieces were very abstract and then I had this little short story in, <laughs> in 12 minutes and Peter Martin said how, how can you tell a story and, and I, you only, I'm only giving you 12 minutes and I said I can do it I can do it so I had a, uh, one of their dancers be like a, a an sort of an ugly duckling in a jazz club and she couldn't fit in so she was doing classical ballet against all these others in sort of red tutus doing all this hot stuff and uh, finally she fell in love with the triangle player and um, found rhythm rhythm, and we ripped off her blue outfit and she had a red outfit on but it told this little short story about finding love through rhythm and um, but of course those dancers are not funny no so, that we know of. We know. We know. Just, no, they're not. So you would end up doing, doing these great jokes in front of them and it'd be silence. <laughs> you know, so I... But, um, but creating that number for them, and again, I keep. I know it sounds repetitive, but then telling them they have to stay in these characters, then they, they play, start to play off of each other and just, just trying to make their character as, as fully realized as possible for them to be funny what if and telling them to be still and you know don't move here be like really laying it out for them yeah what about uh, directing and uh, the scene that comes up and it's a comic scene I'm not talking about the producer I mean you've, you've been so gifted there um, with all of it that wonderful talent but in a place that uh, you thought somebody was or all of a sudden this show is developing and there is a funny moment and this person is a very serious dancer, but in, as an actor. Is it harder? Is, can you still do it then, as a director? Sure, I, I do. You know, I think it's better if everybody has comic instincts. For cl- clearly, the dancers and the producers had to have comic instincts. I needed them to be ready for anything, because I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So I needed for everyone to be inherently funny. But um, I think, again, it's just it's just making sure we all t- always tell that story. And and some people need in uh, it was interesting in being involved with the producers it was a different way of directing and choreographing than say contact Um, everything or music man it's more contact and music man is more nurturing more let's try it this way let's find it this way but producers is say it like this you're either too Jewish you're too gay be funnier. Make it better. Even be short. Yeah. <laughs> because that is the world of Mel, and everyone accepted that. 
You know, turn your head that way on that beat, hold once, take a breath, and then speak. Okay. You know, because that was the world we were in. Now you can't do that with actors in any other place, but you could do it in that world. You know? and, 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 but I tell you, when I went back to, to do the National Tour Contact, I would have loved to have done that. <laughs> I would have loved to have done that kind of shorthand, but I couldn't. I had to again say, well, let's try it this way. See how this feels. <laughs> Let's make it your own. And, yeah. and did it always feel good? Oh, sure. They, yes, absolutely. It's just, no, it's just a bit of a longer process. <laughs> but no, that's the way it should be done. But for some, since we were in that other world, it was just it was great to have that sort of shorthand and that way to speak. You know, and no one was offended. Well, there's, there's that punchline. Yeah. What about in, in terms of choreography? Uh, did you find yourself going for the punchline that you were choreographing in that as well? Sure, in, I mean, in, I always have to... In a world? But yeah, well, in any world, really. Every piece of choreography should have a button, should have an ending. And it either is an ending that's going to take you forward, or it's either going to take you forward into this show, or finish a moment out, or finish a story. But it has to have a button, it has to have a, an ending. Uh, Which is, is sometimes a punchline. Right. But what... I mean, th- yeah, I mean, it could be used as a because yeah. you, you're finishing and you're, it's a blackout, yeah. even if the lights are popping yeah. up. Uh, what about, I mean, you've used, you know, you're masterful, inventive, you, you integrate props, and I want to use that word so brilliantly. May I say that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you, 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 you've taken it to, uh, you always connect it to the character, you always... The invention is extraordinary, and uh, when you said punchline, I, my mind went too crazy for you. And on, on many uses there, but particularly the chair, the building of that chair, and watching those chairs magically unfold in front of me, they climb up, and boom! And I didn't know how it happened. It was so wonderfully seamless. Where, where do, I mean, your use of of a physical property of a, of a glass of a chair of a uh, a girl as a, a base you watch the rhythm kings and all of a sudden the, the, this woman was a base um, what about that is there a chicken and, a, and, a, and an egg there do, do you sometimes see a, a microphone and say okay now I want to create a dance around that or is it always again an addition into the world it is an addition into there's a I think props come easily to me because I can use them. A lot of dancers uh, can, are the most beautiful dancers in the world, and the minute you toss them a cane or a hat, they fall apart. They cannot <laughs> quite work it out. But it comes very easily to me to, to, uh, to hand, handle things. And, uh, but uh, it, it always comes secondary, and it, it always uh, needs to be appropriate to... Uh, in Showboat, uh, there were... The women, it was very period to have hankies, so that was the, the prop to use a hanky to ground us in the period, because every woman had a hanky. In um, Crazy Few, the end of Act One, uh, Bobby Child was leaving because he didn't get the show on, and they said, Wait, 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 no, but you've given us so much, you've, you've showed us, you've given us rhythm. And uh, that's when they launched into the song I've Got Rhythm, but the way they showed him how they got rhythm was to do. Uh, things on materials that were near and dear to them because they were miners in Dead Rock, Nevada. So they were pickaxes in a feed store and mining pans. 
and barrels, but they were all things that, uh, you know, the fellow who sold the pickaxes, that's what he used, or the fellow who sold the mining pans. So it's all an extension of, of the character again. So the props are, are not extraneous. No, 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 no. If we, if we were going to do an interview, a dance with an interviewer, you would probably have a piece of paper and water and a microphone just to uh, ground your character. Right. So, and it gives an activity. Uh, when you, uh, do they, do they feed you though? What, what is that process? And I, I don't want to belabor this too long. So you, do, when you see those girls waving the handkerchief or you see those chairs moving up or you, Whatever the thing is, do you start to does it does that physical prop feed you or are you feeding it? You know what I mean when I say is that a well, you know it's a combination of that. Uh, it's a that's why collaboration is so important too. It's it's being with the designer, being with making sure you know what's on the set, everything that is on the set to use. So in that particular scene, they were having a town meeting. And there were chairs there, and it was trying to find some way to uh, rally the town together. And um, so they built this barricade, and and to say to go forward, and you know, making a flag and the whole thing. But that happened after you know, I never forget in rehearsal, I built built this chair thing while they were on a five minute break. <laughs> and then uh, that was pre production. Yeah. <laughs> and then I I said you know. Run up them, see what happens. You know, and I just had some people spot them, and they ran right up the top of them. And the yeah. chairs aren't tricked or anything; they're just stuck on top of each other. But they it was uh, they were very fearless, Harry, Harry Grover. You know, they just ran right up and became part of the number. And uh, and as you say, uh, you didn't see it happen. You didn't you didn't know anything was happening. It's more like more like making the idea happen than the tangible event happen. It's knowing they have to rally, they have to end together as a team, and it has to have a like a climactic moment. Character. Yeah. Always. Uh, where are we with time and questions? Can I go on? Um, did you always want to be a choreographer? Absolutely. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I you think uh, it happened uh, when I was a child. I would. Um, I, I came from a musical household. My father played the piano and. Uh, so there's always music in the house, but it um, whether it was an old standard or classical piece or rock and roll, I would always visualize music. So I, and I still do to this day. It's not a relaxing entity. I have imagined boards of people dancing through my head. So uh, it's been ever since I was a little girl. So yeah, it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, you, you stole my next question. You see you moving. Did you see? Being a dancer when you were dancing on Broadway or, or dancing wherever you were prior to, to this choreographic success, did you was that a, a way to was that one of your goals or were, did you purposely see that as a way to get to choreography or was it not even? No, it was sure. I knew when I came to New York. I'm from Delaware. When I came and, and in Delaware, I did a lot of I choreographed a lot of community theater and and um, college theater and you know the halftime shows you know. mm. so but I knew when I came to New York I couldn't uh, just take over and say I'm a choreographer <laughs> everybody line up it, it was I, I came as a song and dance gal because I could sing and dance and, and uh, but it was more to sort of assess the situation um, and find out what it, what it takes to become a choreographer director in this town interesting uh, 
what was the turning point? I know you said it, but what would you say your turning point in, in your career to be, be uh, being a choreographer <coughs> and then voice and director? Was there a turning point? Was there a major moment? Well, there was a, what, there was a couple, um, I did a, I did a, I did a Broadway show that lasted two weeks uh, called Musical Chairs and with Scott Ellison. Uh, I assisted the director and I was in, in the last scene, I had a very small part, and, um, and Scott was in it. And we both were lamenting on how uh, we wanted to be on the other side of the table. And I had done Chicago with Cantor and Neb and Scott had done The Rink with Cantor and Neb. So we pr- approached Cantor and Neb and asked them if we could take the, a show that they had done called Floor of the Red Menace and take it down to the Vineyard Theater and do a reworking of it. And they said yes. And uh, we did this, I think we made $50 for, <laughs> for doing the show at the Vineyard Theater for the summer. But it, it hooked on, it became a, a, a wonderful following for that summer run. And, and it was that show that everybody, how Prince came to see, and Eliza came to see, and we became good friends with Cantor and Evan. And then uh, we did The World Goes Round together. And I think that The World Goes Round sort of exposed me to the masses, really. And then, of course, Crazy Few came out of that. Uh, when you're directing and choreographing now, some, I, you've probably heard this so many times, but I, the questions I think that we do think about, what comes first there? When, For instance, in this... Uh, this last bit, or or well, or, or Music Man. Uh, when I'm wearing two hats, like in Music Man or Contact or or the producers, I do choreograph first. But in fact, that's part of um, developing the show because when I choreograph again, I arrange the music. So that's part of moving the sets and that's part of making the transitions. Right. So, uh, and what I did, for example, the producers is when I go into a show, I have it all choreographed in my head. Now it does change because I also feed off the actors but I also have it worked out pretty much in my head and, and uh, invariably if I, I make a combination that turns to the right that dancer's going to say, you know, I'd do that better if it turned to the left and then it's a domino effect and falls apart but, um, but that's okay because it needs to look great on them and it needs to look, it should always look like they made it up it should always look spontaneous but, um, but I, I do do this homework before I go in, you know, and for producers, uh, I did pre-production that way, and then I, I started with only the ensemble for a week and taught all the numbers. And then when the principals came in, once I started to plug them into the numbers, then the numbers took on yet another form. What is, let's say on uh, Music Man, for instance, what, how long was your, your personal pre-production time? What did, what did you use? Well, usually, I mean, it goes on because you have so many meetings with the set designer and so many meetings with the costume designer, but then the actual time of me in a studio is a week. And and this is the, in the like evening time, this is, this is sort of rolling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, okay. uh, but before before we open it up, we're going to open up a couple of... I want to know, what would you like to do? You obviously want to do this next project for Lincoln Center. What would, is there something, uh, what would you like, what piece, what object of your affection, what uh, st- uh, style, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's, is there something that you particularly want, I mean, I think you're passionate about the theater in all ways. Yes. Is there something now that, that's grabbing at you? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's nothing that's been done before, it's all 
you know, if Andre said, could you do a contact too, I could do it, you know. Okay. I mean, I just have a million stories in my head. I think part of the role of um, being a director and choreographer is being an observer. So I, you know, I look at people and I wonder about them and I wonder about their lives and, and wonder what they're doing in that restaurant and what kind of relationship they're having. I think it's part of just what we do. So uh, it's, it's that kind of fantasy about imagining people. And it, it would always be about human nature. Uh, you know, it's always about human nature. So I think, um, I mean, I have some other ideas in my head for something new, but it would definitely be something new. It wouldn't be a revival. And live? Oh, as opposed to film? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I mean, there's, uh, there's talk about doing a film of contact, actually, that third short story. And I think that will happen eventually which I look forward to. I, I got a chance to do a, a movie last summer called Center Stage, which uh, was a great experience for me to use dance and the camera, and uh, went very well. So I think from that, I would like to try something more. Should we open it up now? I think we better. I have to say, I didn't, I only, I didn't <laughs> get to 50. But. Right. Why don't we... Uh, oh, there's a hand. Why don't we uh, open it up to... Uh, you all, and uh, if you have a question, try. Why don't you stand up, say your name if we don't know you, uh, know you and then uh, ask the question, and uh, we'll go from there. Oh, uh, no. Okay. Should we wait? All right. So, uh, wait, that, that young lady first. That, yes, it's that Hi, hammer. My name is Congratulations. Thank um, you. I had the pleasure of auditioning for the Vineyard Florida by Menace and oh. many other times. What are the things <laughs> for like an audition yeah. you know what it's always better to uh, if you know what you're auditioning for is to to somehow embrace that character if you know what you're auditioning for you know uh, it always helps uh, the creative team uh, to even see you in a better better way but somebody like um, Franz Liebkin you know the Nazi and the producers he doesn't have to dance but again he has to have some rhythm because he has to do like a hammock spiel thing where he does a little thing like that so uh, but I'll never look for a dancer for that you know but but I do need somebody who is I think nimble and for for, for uh, actors who are singers who act I think any kind of class that you can take that is just going to make you nimble you know that it's just going to uh, make you be able to put one foot in front of the other is a good one you know a really like basic soft shoe class or something it doesn't even have to be a technique class but I find it just makes you able to pick up things more. You're able to just learn how to pick up, and I think it's very helpful for people who don't dance. Hi, I'm JT. I'm a choreographer and a musician. I actually want to go back to the, your everyman and specific character when you're talking about in the difference between concert stage and a musical theater. When you're dealing with a character, uh, it's more and more on the concert side. 
that you're pulling that heavy pan out. How much, uh, and it's important how it comes to the stage, I think with your, with your own idea and your own thoughts and philosophy, what to pull from that dancer, how much leeway do you give if that dancer, say you have a, a certain idea, and what that dancer is giving you might take it a little bit askew, but it works. Do you give it, allow that leeway? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very, it should be very collaborative. Uh, and the thing is, even if that actor or that dancer is heading uh, down the wrong path, you need to let them go a little ways and then find a way to bring them into another way. But if that, while they're heading down to the wrong path, you'll even come up with another idea because you've seen something else that you didn't expect. So you absolutely have to let them go a little more. And then, and then, and then, uh, magic will happen. Something else will happen that you never expected. Hi, my name is Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Um, I'm curious about your collaboration with John Wyden on Contact. How did that work? Was, he's great. <laughs> I just love him. Um, uh, the the stories in Contact, for example. Uh, the Girl in the Yellow Dress, a third short story, is a, I happen to be in a swing club, an after-hours club, uh, down in the Mead District in, here in New York, and um, in a sea of uh, New Yorkers who wear black uh, emerged a girl in the yellow dress. And I watched this girl and uh, thought to myself, she's going to change somebody's life tonight. And that sort of um, ob- obsession with, with this idea stuck in my head, and it happened to time out with the same time uh, Andre Bishop asked me if I had any ideas, he would help me develop them. And uh, so I called John, and I told him about this uh, image that I had. And we sat and we talked about, we both knew, uh, there's an Ambrose Bierce short story to Occurrence at Alfred Bridge that we both knew. And uh, the fact that he knew that story <laughs> made me very happy. So it seemed meant to be in a way. Uh, and we just talked about how that could be turned into a contemporary story. So it, it was more like the collaboration of talking back and forth about how the story could be developed to turn into something and how she could save somebody's life. And uh, a lot of contact, though, came out of the actual up-on-its-feet dance and improvisation with the dancers. But uh, John was always there, you know, uh, to help guide in, in the actual dialogue itself. Yeah. Did you uh, have any idea... When you started content, was that just was that an exercise in creativity? Yes, it was. I'm totally surprised at content. I'm surprised anybody gets it because it's (laughs) because I find it quite personal. And when I did it, it was more of a creative outlet outlet in the basement of Lincoln Center. And now to think it's gone on to have a national tour is is amazing to me. Um, And plus, when I was creating it, I wasn't creating it to be in any category either. I was mm-hmm. just doing a theater piece. And then all of a sudden, people started to see it, and, and uh, it got crazy. Was it, yeah. a, was it a very different way of working for you? Sure, yeah. Because it was much more at the moment. Because there was no... It was just out of my head. And the, and the day the rehearsal was... Was it more... Uh, oh, it was exciting, because it would be... Um, it would be giving relationships to uh, the waiters and the in the restaurant finding out who was related to whom and and the characters in the restaurant there's an engaged couple that are getting engaged that night and then there's a married couple who've been married happily married with four kids and then there's Karen Ziemba and the husband down here you know 
So it's, it's giving them different characters and letting them see what they do with them. And did that physicality of these characters, these dancers, hap- in, happen in rehearsal? Or did you, it doesn't sound like you did the same kind of uh, pre You didn't go in with the choreography there. No, that happened there. in rehearsal. Well, no, I went in with a lot of the choreography, but those kind of character things happen within there. rehearsal. Yeah. Hi, my name's Mark. Uh, would you talk about uh, Big and Steel Pier? Yeah. And maybe would you talk about these experiences? I think um, for... <coughs> It's uh, Steel Pier was, you know, we're, we're sad that that went down. We just love that show so much. And I think a lot of shows have to do with timing, uh, too. Um, had producers not come in, Full Monty would have swept the awards this year. You know, it's timing. And uh, when Big came into town, so did Rent and Noise Funk, which were both very innovative and new and daring and and took chances. At that time, nobody wanted a traditional musical comedy. Nobody. So even though Big got a good review in the New York Times, it didn't matter. There were these two very inventive things happening. So it, it didn't, uh, nobody wanted to see a musical. For Steel Pier, what were the chances that Candor Neb Chicago was going to open down the street at the same time? And uh, Candor Neb uh, wanted to write something more romantic and something different. But people love it when Candor Neb was surly and uh, clever and um, nasty and ornery. They love the lyrics in uh, Chicago. They love the lyrics in Cabaret. The exact time we opened, so did that, which reminded them why people love Cantor Neb. So they were quite hurt that they weren't allowed to do something. So I think a lot of these shows, uh, when they land, uh, because when you uh, decide to work in the commercial theater, you have to deal with them. You know, you have to be stuck in a category, and it's all about ticket sales, so it's, it's very cutthroat. It's different from working at Lincoln Center, where uh, things are done as a limited run, and it's done for the actors, and it's done for the creative team. We don't have enough places like that. The Lincoln Center is the closest thing we have to the Royal National Theater in London. It's very similar. But um, every show that I've ever done, even though it's been, if it hasn't worked out financially, it's... Uh, um, Artistically, it's been a success for me in the sense of what I've taken from that show. And every show that I've ever done, I've been able to take a little bit of it and add it to the next show. So I feel like my career has been just a stepping stone of getting across this creek. And, and each show has been a stronger stone to hold me. And uh, it's, it's been very natural. And uh, so although those shows were not financially a success for me, artistically I learned a lot from them. So I've, and I've been able to take that each show with me. Well, uh, <laughs> well, 
I think, um, you know, part of why I'm here is, is to um, bring dance to Broadway, to keep dance in theater, you know, because for about 10 years there, there was no dance on Broadway. And I think um, Crazy Few kind of gave a resurgence of dance again on Broadway. And, but that's what I do, and that's why I'm here. And I love Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. I grew up in my home. It was a big deal when those movies came on. And I, I love doing that kind of partnering, and I'm actually uh, very, um, it comes very naturally for me to partner. So that's why contact, um, that idea of contact is not really swing dancing. It's my version of swing dancing. It's about making contact. So it's contact dancing. But um, the thing is, I think theater, you know, everybody says theater's dead, but it's not dead. It's just taking on new forms. But with, not unlike taking on these shows that have failed, but I keep taking them on to the next thing, uh, I'll always uh, have uh, a Fred and Ginger type idea in a show because it will be about romance. And what I do if I'm doing a show about human nature, there's going to be something romantic in it, and it's going to be about two people dancing together. So what, what we know now is that kind of iconic Fred and Ginger number will always be in my repertoire. But to say that... Um, you know, it's once once the twist was embedded, no one danced with each other anymore. <laughs> you know, so it's been a long time since people actually partnered up. But I, I know it's it'll always have to do with uh, the kind of shows that are being made. If if people want to do shows about animals and cartoons, it's not going to happen. You know, but if people do shows about human nature, those those ideas will always be there. Wait, the last one. <laughs> that, that hand. Where Susan, where we should, where, where be, we should be, where we should be sitting. It's the idea. It was the idea, and the the music contact is is from my living room. And it's, uh, the idea was um, to do something contemporary and to do something that a New Yorkers, I wanted to do a show that New Yorkers would relate to. And we all uh, relate to living in a very crowded city and not being able to make contact. We all have friends that with, live in the most crowded city in the world. They can't meet anybody. And um, I wanted to do a show like that so people, New Yorkers could relate to and uh, to do a show about somebody who's so... Everyone in New York has come to New, be in New York to be the best at what they are, no matter what it is. That's why everybody's in New York, because this is where it's at. So a lot of people have forfeited everything to do that. They have forfeited everything, and all of a sudden they wake up with this, these awards and realize they have nothing else. And uh, so this man wants to commit suicide. Now, when you go to commit suicide and jump out a window, you don't think of a new Broadway score. You think of songs that are... Are going, are, have meant something to you. So using classical uh, contemporary tunes that would relate to this man was what I wanted to do. And uh, so when those songs that you hear are actually CDs that are scattered all over his apartment, and I needed to have that sound of a CD to make it very contemporary. So that's how that idea came. Something, and once I was into that, in that, when I had to do a first act, and for example, the Fragonard Swing, I knew that painting. It hangs in London. It's a beautiful painting. But there's a, a, a statue in that painting with a Cupid doing this. And so I thought, 
well, something's ornery going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Or that painter would not have painted that Cupid doing that. He would have just painted that Cupid with his wings out. But because he painted that Cupid that way, it meant that something was going on. So um, uh, I thought would be great to use classical violin music, but when but when that they started to swing on that swing for it to go into Stefan Capelli, so you the audience would know right away that something ornery was going wrong if uh, if the violin was ornery also. Yes. Oh, oh hi. 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 Yes. How has your process changed in the vineyard to today? I mean, I know the resources get better and better and better, but how has your process changed in dealing with them and when you have questions? <laughs> well, I think uh, with the design team, it, it's, go- it's going through the script with them and making sure and everybody's on the same page, making sure that uh, it, we talk through the script, you talk through every scene, you talk through every idea, and um, it's... it's um, being with them, I don't, so they are. It's always got to be the directors. The director's got to be the the person who has the vision, and everybody has to get on that wagon. And uh, you always can tell when someone didn't jump on, mm-hmm. and somebody went that way, and that's what hurts the musical. Everybody has to be on that same page. But I, I work with them very uh, closely. You know, Robin Wagner and I had many a meeting. Um, on the producers before we even showed it to Mel. We wanted to make sure everything was right. And then if he loved it, he was thrilled to death. But, uh, you know, springtime for Hitler, making sure Amira could come down to uh, give me a swastika that turned upside down. You know, but it's it, it's many meetings uh, to make these things work out. Hi, my name is well, you know, I think um, I think you cannot wait around for someone to hire you. You have to go out and create it. I mean, that's what I did. I went out and, and stirred it up. I had an idea and tried to create something. I had an idea with Scott Ellis that we could do Floor of the Red Menace. All they can say is no. You always have to say to yourself, uh, what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. So you have to go out and take a chance and, and create it yourself. But it's, it is tricky because it's a catch-22 in order for someone to hire you as a director and choreographer. It's always, you have to have a piece of work out there. But that work can come from yourself. If you are really a creative person, if you really believe you're a director and choreographer and have that creative thing inside you, then you should go out and make it happen. Nope. Oh. <laughs> Something I've heard uh, a lot of directors ask me to ask when we do one-on-one interviews like this. And all the way back since we did one with uh, Jerry Gene Sachs and Jerry Sachs uh, did one-on-one. In their case, it was Neil Simon. In your case, I guess, it would be Mel Brooks. <laughs> but having a major playwright who has an extraordinary career already before this project, whatever it happens to be, comes up, and you're the director... How do you get that player? What if there's something where you in the script that you need changed or rewritten? They don't initially agree with it. How do you get them to, how do you work with them? And the answer may be they don't change it. 
But how do you work with them? What approach did you use, I guess, in your, in your case with Mel, to be able to, 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 to rewrite, to get what you felt this show needed? You talked about utilizing it, things in the screenplay had to change. Mm -hmm. LSD didn't work, wouldn't work for Hitler. Yeah. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you, how you worked with them on that? Well, I think, too, it's, it's getting a rapport with you, right, whether it is John Wyman or, or Mel Brooks. It's finding, finding that rapport. And... Um, there has to be a real communication. Uh, it can't be very, it can't be separate. Also, it's I know it's difficult for directors if they work with a, a writer who finds his moments precious and can't get rid of them. And um, in, I was very lucky in my case, uh, Mel. Nothing was precious. If it didn't get a laugh, it was out. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't funny. It was out. Nothing was precious. You know, and it's uh, and John Wyman's the same thing. If it doesn't work, it's out. You know, so uh, it's it's finding those writers that are going to be collaborative. But um, if you're going to present an idea to a writer, you have to really have it thought through and backed up. It can't be because they have, uh, you know, this has been their baby and they've sweat and strained over this. And so you, it can't be willy-nilly. It has to be thought out. <laughs> so you have to really back yourself up. If you want a major change, you have to be able to explain why most likely they're going to say no and then they're going to go away and then they're going to think about it and then they're going to come back to you and then you'll work it out together and that's what I've found if someone has said no to me but if I've explained it really well they'll take a breath and go away from me and then they'll come back and they'll discuss it again sort of like in a, a relationship sort of like a relationship you, know, <laughs> you explain why you want that and yeah. hopefully next week <laughs> those flowers will come yeah no but I, it, it is a, a it's a relationship oh Hi. <laughs> next yes from the very open uh, it's it's casting actually though I think is the most difficult of the process the most difficult thing because it's not just you it'd be great to say the director did have the last word but a lot of times you have to deal with producers you have to deal with the musical director. You have to deal with the choreographer. You have to deal with uh, somebody's cousin. You, have to, uh, you know, casting is really, really hard. And, and uh, uh, you have to listen to a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's a miracle a musical gets up. It's a miracle. Because so many people uh, are involved in making this one moment work. And uh, so casting is, is tricky. But, um, no, I'm very open to that. You know, they're would not have been uh, any actors of color uh, follies, girls, and crazy for you. But, of course, we did that. Uh, and it's, it's, and that's the way it should be done, you know. I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I know some people do, but I have no problem with that. And then in, in uh, recasting, for example, doing the National Tour of Contact, there are, certain, there are certain size requirements because certain steps choreographically can't be done with large people. But, um, but in fact, uh, it's a very different-looking company, the National Tour. And the, the girl in the yellow dress is uh, a brunette you know, and, uh, and is six feet two. <laughs> but, 
But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's very different. But I'm very open. It's got to be about that person. You, ultimately, you'll be happier if you just pick the best actor that walked in the room. The best actor is the one that should get the job, you know. But it is, it is quite a thing when there's a table of people there because you have to listen to everybody's opinion about it. So it is, it's the hardest thing of all. I think maybe just a couple more questions. How, where are you with the sure. time? Okay, are you all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the way. No, no, down. All the way in the back. <laughs> She's been trying four times now. <laughs> oh, hi. Uh, well, you know what? It is fine. It's finding that theme. For example, in the Music Man, it was finding what, like I talked about in Oklahoma. All right, if it's a grittier Oklahoma, then this dance is going to be about fighting and uh, playing. Can you top this with each other? In uh, in Music Man, it has to be about the Pied Piper coming to town and and the infectious quality he has on these children. He hooks the children in first, so it's that kind of almost. Um, Simon Says choreography, where the music man does something, then the children do something, and then the adults hook on. So it's all through the music man, and uh, and starting out with a town that's very stiff with stubborn Iowans. They don't move, so it's having low peripheral movement in the top of the show. So then by the time Shakupi comes, it lands with the whole whole town being dancing with great abandon. So then you have a journey with your movement. But it's trying to find the big picture first, in movement or in dance and, and how, how it works to tell the story and how it works to support the characters. And then, and then those kind of climaxes will, will come and they'll, they'll be um, naturally heightened. It'll, it'll just happen naturally. If you, get, if you figure out what that overall thing should be. The person I yelled at. <laughs> I, I owe it to you. Uh, it does take a long time for a musical to get up. That's why uh, other ideas, it's good to create other things rather than if you can get your head to do a couple other ideas and develop them, you'll find that something you thought was going to happen didn't happen and this thing you had back here is, is racing to the front. You know, But it's also finding the right people to collaborate with. If you have a, a, somebody, a writer that you admire, you should... Uh, connect with them and and tell them what your idea is and maybe it'll spark some interest. The musical theater is a real collaboration. You can't do it by yourself. It has to be about going out and getting Harry Connick and and saying let's do this together. And and if he said no, I, you know I would have gone to somebody else. But it's it's I was about to give up and I didn't. And uh, right, right right when I was going to give up, uh, he came through and 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 got hooked. You know, and it's it's. Um, but you, it's going out there and finding... If you have an idea, it's, it's then choosing a writer and, and approaching them and asking them to develop it. One thing you did say, though, that you're an actress and a director. 
I find it's difficult in New York to have a split focus. I find it's difficult for people to allow you to have a split focus. In New York City, you have to be one thing or the other, and you have to choose that one thing. And um, it's not that way in London. Hello, they, they write books, and they do plays, and then they do musicals, and they do movies, and, you know, then they, they're crowned sirs and knights. And, <laughs> and they do all, and they play tennis, and they have, you know. But not, not in New York, not in America. In America, you, that, you have to have that one American dream, and you have to go for it. And, but no one wants to hear that you want to be something else. So it's very difficult. I mean, it, not to say it can't be done. But that's what I find, uh, unless, if you want to be a great actress, then that's what you have to pursue. There can't be any that's on the side stuff, you know? If there's on the side stuff, it's, it's working at Macy's to make sure you can do the other thing. But it's not doing two completely career things. It's just what I've found in my New York life. You talked a little bit about a support system, too, I think. You, I mean, you have a wonderful creative team, and you work with them often. What about for new directors or new director choreographers? Is that? But it's it, you know what it's it's um, it's taking a chance. You've got to take a chance. You have to go out. You have to go out and ask John Weidman if he'd like to work on this thing. You don't know what it is. You have this wacky idea. Do you want to do it? You know it, it's it's how many years or fifteen years ago going to Candorneb and saying I know you don't know me, but. I think if we took the show to the Vineyard Theater, you know, you you would have a good time this summer. <laughs> but it's it's um, it's getting an idea and then acting on it. A lot of us have ideas, but we don't act on them. You have to act on it. What's the worst thing that can happen? That's what you always have to say. If someone says no, but you just go on. You just go on. But you always have to, you have to go out there and do it. Well. I think that sounds like a closer to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you. Again, this is Hal Prince, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members online at ssdc.org. The online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.